But Ruth chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. This is week number 3 of our series called From Ruin to Redemption. We have a couple weeks left, two for sure, maybe three, um, as we journey through the book of Ruth. Uh, Let me start today off with a question. This is all skate. Everybody can answer this. You can answer it for yourself because you know the answer, but you got to shame the devil and tell the truth. All right? That's, That's what we're doing here today. How many of you have ever quit on a diet or exercise program? Raise your hand. This is like the fastest hands have ever gone up, all right? Because that's all of us. We're three weeks into the new year, and most of us already quit seven times on the resolutions that we made, right? I can't tell you the number of times I have quit. I've tried everything. I've tried the protein plan, the everything you want to eat plan, the exercise for two seconds plan. Um, but a lot of us, when we don't see change, we quit. I, I'm the person, I'm like, I don't see any change. This sucks. This is horrible. I'm not doing this anymore. There's no change. How long have you been doing it? Three days. <laughs> That's why you ain't seen any change, Pastor. And I've realized for years that I keep trying to bring about change, and when I don't see the change that I want, I just, I just give up. And so I, I've shared this before, but I've wrestled with body image issues um, my whole adult life. But this year, I decided instead of fad diets, instead of buying into different plans and doing these other things that I know, I know that I know I'm going to fail at. I've started saying, you know what? I'm just going to get up tomorrow and I'm just going to do the next right thing. This is a message I preached several years ago um, where I, where I talked about doing the next right thing. And I talked about it in regards to temptation. And I talked about it in regards to holiness, that when, when temptation's in front of us, when making the choice to choose what God wants and what the world wants, we just need to do the next right thing. And it was one of those sermons that I preached. It was like, it sounded really good for you, but it was horrible for me. And so I just kind of shelved it and the whole idea. And, and like the other couple weeks ago, I like was pulling some stuff out and putting some stuff together. And, and I saw that. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's what I need to be doing. The next right thing. I'm just going to continue to take my next step. I'm going to start looking at progress over making a change because progress leads to the change I eventually want to see. Where am I going with this? There are way too many people in the church world. Listen, we're so discouraged because somebody pointed at you and said, you need to change. You need to stop doing this. You need to quit doing that. You need to start going over here. You need to stop going over there. You need to start this and quit that. And listen, maybe they were right. Maybe like legit, we do. But they want to change. And because we didn't change, we automatically give up. Or we get discouraged because we couldn't make the change that we wanted to see. And it seems like things are always the way that they used to be. We can't make the change. And so we just get discouraged and quit. Well, what if it wasn't about change? What if it was about just getting up every single day and doing the next right thing? What if it was just about getting up every single day and taking your next step? What if it was about getting up and simply making progress? And eventually, as we do the right thing, as we take our next step over and over and over again, we look back and we're not the person we used to be. See, I believe change comes when we embrace progress, not just striving for change. So I'm going to teach you this through Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to do a really quick review to catch everybody up. Ruth chapter 1, where we've been, there's a guy named Elimelech. He lives in Bethlehem. But there's a famine in Bethlehem. So he takes his whole family, and they move to a place called, anybody remember? Moab. Let me tell you a little bit of something about the Moabites. Because somebody asked me last week, why were they so bad? 
like Ryan, I, I was I was reading, I was trying to do some history and, and trying to get like like why are they so bad? Let me give you a little history lesson on how the nation of Moab got started. In Genesis 18, God destroys a place called Sodom and a place called Gomorrah. How many of you know that story? If you know anything about the Bible, you read that fire rained down, like God rained down fire. And Lot and his whole family took off running. They were told ahead of time, and they're, they're escaping, and they were told not to turn around and, and look back. But Lot's wife turns around, looks back, she gets turned into what? Anybody know? Pillar of salt, yeah. And so then Lot, who was leading the city, who had all kinds of stuff, wealth and everything, he ends up homeless in a cave with his two daughters. And his two daughters one night get him drunk and have sex with him. For for all of you that think the Bible is boring, this stuff's just in the first 18 chapters. I mean, Jerry Springer's embarrassed over this stuff, right? I mean, it's bad. Lot has sex with his oldest daughter, and when she got pregnant by her dad, the kid that was born, his name was Moab. And he went on and formed the nation of Moab. So Moab was started because a girl had sex with her dad while he was passed out drunk. You think you got family issues? Like, this is bad. So later on, the Israelites come in and they're trying to take over the nation of Israel. So, so they're, they're coming to take over the land. The Moabites seduced the Israelites. Some of the Moabites seduced the men. And it was, it was bad. It was so bad that God started killing them. It was horrible. So Moab had a reputation of being like sexual immorality on steroids. And so when the Bible says they went to Moab, it it was like what happens in Moab stays in Moab because nobody leaves Moab. And once you went to Moab, you definitely didn't go back to Bethlehem, the place that God was, the house of bread. So they go to Moab and the Bible says they settled there. We read that. And, And I told you, every time you walk away from something, or when you walk away from God, When you walk away from where you're supposed to be, something dies. Eventually, Elimelech dies. And Naomi, the wife, doesn't know what to do. So she marries off her two sons to Moabite women. Moabite women. Moabite women. The Bible specifically says, do not marry Moabite women. And they they married off to two women. Anybody know their names? Ruth and Orpha, right? Not Oprah, but Orpha. That's her name. They married them off. God said, do not do it, and they did it. Now, before we judge them, how many of us have ever done something that God said not to do? That, that would be everybody. Your hands didn't go up as fast as the diet thing that time. God said, don't do it, and they did it. God said, hey, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. And then the two sons died. So now you've got Naomi stuck with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpha. And remember last week, we said they started walking back to Bethlehem because Naomi had heard that God was at work there. And so Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, which took so much courage, especially with where she had been and what she had gone through. And so Ruth starts going with her and Orpha starts going with her, but they come to a crossroads and Naomi looks at them and says, girls, you don't got to come with me. As a matter of fact, I don't know why you'd want to be with me. Just, just go back. You don't have to go. And Orpha says, all right, and kisses her and says, I'm out. And she was gone. But Ruth says, I'm not leaving. Staying with you. The only thing that's going to break this connection is death. Let me ask you this question. How difficult do you think it was for Ruth, a Moabite woman, to walk into Bethlehem? I mean, we're talking about like this is the most unchurched person on the planet walking into church. I mean, do you think people talked about her, yes or no? Say yes. 
Yeah, because religion has changed so much in the past thousands of years. You think people stared, yes or no? Think people scratched their heads like, what the heck is she doing in here? And, and we talked about last week, remember they showed up and everybody's like, oh, no, Naomi, you're so awesome. It's great to have you here. It's good to see you. And she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. And they're like, oh, all right then, I, I don't even know. But, but we talked about the significance of her walking into a house and being honest. And that's what we need to have here, a place where we can come in and we can just be honest with what's going on. That's where we're going to pick up the story um, because they're back in Bethlehem. They're kind of hanging out, kind of getting reacclimated. And, and chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Don't miss that. The Bible said he was wealthy and influential. And, Bo, and Ruth, who eventually marries Boaz, like that's not a spoiler, you know that, I've told you that every week. But what are two things that Ruth did not have when she walked back into Bethlehem? Anyone to guess? Wealth and influence. Ruth did not have wealth, and she did not have influence. How many of you know that sometimes God will not give you what you're asking for, but he'll connect you with somebody who has it? Sometimes God won't give you what you're asking for, but he'll connect you with somebody who has it. That's why connections are important, because sometimes we'll ask God for things, and he says, I'm going to give it to you through someone else. That's the way God works sometimes. And so God was going to connect Ruth, who did not have wealth and influence, to Boaz, who does have wealth and influence. Now, this is where it gets great. I'm going to go all the way through chapter 2, so you've got to listen fast, all right? Verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite. Hold on, let me talk about that for a second. I don't know who wrote the book of Ruth, and, and you don't either, all right? So don't put together this list of things and send it to me. We, we, just, we just don't know. I don't know who wrote the book of Ruth, but why do they keep bringing this up? She's from Moab, yes or no? She is a Moabite, yes or no? But why do they keep referring to her as that? How would you love it if somebody introduced you according to where you came from every time? Oh, this is Charlie the Crackhead. This is Abby the Alcoholic. This is Peter the Pervert. I'm just trying to get letters that start the same. That's all I'm trying to do. If that's your name, I'm super sorry. How would you like that? How would you like to be introduced to other people by the worst season of your life? I'm, I'm just saying, hypothetically, I know a little bit about this. Just, just a tad bit. For some reason in the story, they keep bringing up that Ruth was from Moab. Was she still in Moab, yes or no? No, she's not in Moab, but people refer to her. Well, you, you, there's that Moabite. You know those Moabite people. Kids stay away. We don't go near those people. We don't talk to those people. Why do they keep bringing this up? We'll talk about it in a little bit. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Now let me pause real quick and say this. In the book of Leviticus, at least twice in the book of Leviticus, the Israelites are told, as you're harvesting your fields, do not harvest at all. They're told to leave some for the poor people. The poor people can go out and they get some of the stuff that you left behind. And so if you were poor in that society, you knew that when they harvested the field, they would only harvest about 85 to 90 percent of it and leave some so you could go out and get something to provide for yourself and your family. Now here's what's crazy. Ruth is from Moab. They don't worship God in Moab. They know nothing about God in Moab. The only way that Ruth knew about this was Naomi had to have told her at some point. So Naomi, we said last week, even though she was empty, still had something deep inside of her that she was able to tell this woman from Moab about the things of God. And when Ruth hears about it, 
She said, let me go. I, I love that attitude. She could have said, oh, no. No, I've come this far. I came from Moab to Bethlehem. Now you got me in church. I was going to let go and let God. What does that mean anyway? Doesn't make any sense to me. Stop saying it. Uh, she said, she said, no, there's an opportunity for me to actually take my next step. There's an opportunity for me to actually make progress. I'm going to make progress. I'm not going to sit on my butt and do nothing. I'm going to take my next step. I'm going to move. Nothing may change, but I'm not going to just sit here waiting on something to happen. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to make some progress. I'm going to go to work in the field. I'm going to go work in the harvest field. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Verse 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. As it happened, she just happened to go. How many of you know when you're walking with Jesus, nothing just happens? How many of you know that? Nothing just happens. See, some people would look at this story and they'd look at Ruth and they go, oh, she's so lucky. You know what luck is? Luck is when hard work meets opportunity. That's what luck is. Luck is when hard work meets opportunity. See, if Ruth had decided to just sit on her butt and stay in the house and do nothing, she never winds up in the field of Boaz. But when she decides to take her next step, when she decides to start walking, even though she had every reason to be discouraged, even though she's got every reason to doubt that she'll never have anything because of where she's from and who she is, she says, you know what? I'm not going to let doubt. I'm not going to let discouragement keep me in the house. I'm going to keep walking. As it happened... She just wound up in Boaz's field. See, some of the greatest blessings that have ever brought into our life are blessings we didn't even see coming. We didn't see them coming. They just happened. And you know why they happen? Because we're doing the next right thing. Taking our next step. Walking with Jesus. Verse 4. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. And, and, and then watch what happens next. This, this, is, this is crazy. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Now, this is a big deal because Boaz has been in the field a long time. Scholars believe he's about 80 years old at this time. He has seen lots of women in the field. And right here, he's like walking out, seeing everybody. Oh, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Sarah? Good to see you, man. What's going on? Hey, Mary, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, Amy, how you? Ooh, who's that? Dang. Let me explain something to you about Ruth. Ladies, you might identify with this a little bit. You might not. You might get a little mad. It's cool. Ruth was what you would call a hot mess. The reason I say that is because some of you say you're a hot mess and you're not. You took that selfie, but it took you 35 minutes and 18 filters on that selfie to say that you're a hot mess. You're not a hot mess. You're in your sleep pants. You got the t-shirt on that you bought from Target that says Wine Wednesday. Did your makeup about halfway? You're sitting on your couch typing hashtag Wine Wednesday, hashtag hot mess. You're not a hot mess. Ruth was a hot mess. Think about it. She's out in the field working, sweating, no makeup, hair stuck to her head, probably all matted, didn't even shave her legs that morning. I mean, pitting out in her dress, just nasty. Probably, probably smelt like teenage boy. Just got that. I'm preaching in 4D right now. Get some deodorant, kid. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't good. But notice this. Ruth doesn't notice her when she's hot. 
Ruth notices her, or Boaz notices her when she's a mess. In this story, don't, don't miss this because this is so cool. In this story, Boaz is the Christ figure. You need to understand something about Jesus. Jesus didn't notice you when you had your stuff together. Jesus noticed you. Jesus noticed me. Jesus noticed us when we were a mess, when we were nasty, when we were dirty, when we were gross. And Jesus didn't say, hey, go clean up and then come back to me. Jesus says, hey, that person right there, that messy one, that's who I want. Boaz is like, dang, she hot. Hey, girl, how you doing? And then his friends jump in. They're like, hey, hey. She's a young woman from Moab. There it is again. You ever felt like you can't get past what you did? You ever felt like you just can't get past it? I do. I know what it's like. Hey, Boaz, man, we checked her out too. I mean, she hot, but she from Moab. Dog, you need to stay away from them Moabite women. Uh-uh, nothing good comes from that, you, you know. And, and then watch this. She's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Does it seem like they're stalking her a little bit, yes or no? Yeah. Boaz. Man, we've been checking her out all day, man. Yeah, she hot. But she's from Moab. And, and you, you can't mess around with her because she got a reputation. But, but watch what happens. Because most people, when they were told, oh, they would say like, oh, she's from Moab? Yeah, and don't be messing around with those Moabite women. But Boaz doesn't even flinch. I want you to watch this because this is my favorite part of the whole story. Watch verse 8. Boaz went over her and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter. Like he didn't say, listen, Moabite. He could have, right? And he would have been right. Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain and don't go into any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. And his people are like, what? Boaz has been hitting the bottle this early in the morning? That'll make sense next week because he got a, he got a problem. He's he, he talking to the Moabite? What, what's he doing? Why did Boaz not even flinch when he found out Ruth was from Moab? Moab, the place where women did what Moabite women do. Well, I'll tell you why, and this is awesome. I, I find this absolutely fascinating. You might not, but I think it's super cool. When the Israelites were first coming into the promised land, they had to fight a battle. We see this in Joshua chapter 5 and 6. The first city they were going to overtake was the city of, anybody remember? Jericho, right? They fought the battle of Jericho. Now, the battle of Jericho wasn't really a battle because they really didn't fight. They just marched around the city. You know the story? They marched around seven times. On the seventh day, they blew the trumpet, and the, all the walls fell down. Here's where I'm going with this. In Joshua... Um, Joshua sent two spies into the city of Jericho that wound up at Rahab's house. Anybody remember what Rahab did for, for an occupation? Rahab was a what? A prostitute. And nobody ever really talks about how two spies just happened to wind up at the prostitute's house. Um, nobody unpacks that story. Uh, maybe we will someday. Um, but remember, they told Rahab, they said, listen, um, if you don't tell anybody what's going on, you don't tell anybody the battle plan. You get your people together. Um, when we come back, we'll protect you. Like when the walls fall down and everybody dies, you and your family will not die. You'll be protected. And so when the Israelites came in, they marched around seven times. On the seventh day, they blew the trumpet. The walls came down. People died. Rahab did not die. She was protected. The prostitute lived. And then she married. And this is where the story gets cool and ties back into the, into the text today. She married an Israelite man named Solomon. 
And Rahab and this Israelite man had a son. And they named him, anybody want to guess? Boaz. Isn't that cool? And so Boaz, when he grew up, he grew up knowing about women who had a past. He had probably heard the same things talked about his mother that were said about Ruth. But he had a heart of empathy. And he had, and he had a heart of compassion because he had heard it all before. And so when people were trying to talk smack about Ruth, it didn't stop him. He still pursued her, even though she came from Moab. Here's what's beautiful about that. Jesus knows about your past. Jesus knows about your past. He knows what you did. Not, not like 10 years ago, but last night. And he still pursues you. And because he was fully God and fully man, he knows what it's like to experience the temptations that we face. Therefore, he's able to empathize with us in our toughest times. We see that happening right here in this story. Isn't it cool? He says, stay here. Girl, stay here in my field. And then verse 9, see which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Is he interested in Ruth, yes or no? Yeah. He's like, listen, I told them boys, if they say something to you, I'm going to handle business. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to refresh you. You stay in my field. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to refresh you, which that's the message that Jesus has for us today. Hey, if you keep moving, if you keep taking your next step, you keep making progress, I will protect you, and I will refresh you. Jesus says, just stay in my field. Don't go to another field. Stay walking with me. And if you walk with me, I will protect you and I will refresh you. That's an amazing promise, yes or no? Yeah, and watch what happens. Verse 10, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. This to me is heartbreaking when you really look at it. She's trying to talk herself out of the blessing because she had accepted the labels that other people had put on her. And so she's asking, why would you be this good to me? Me, I'm, I'm just, a, and she can't even say it. She can't say, I'm, I'm a Moabite. Why are you being so good to me, a, a foreigner? She felt so much shame because of where she came from and what she had done that she tried to push the blessings that Boaz wanted to bring into her life away. And I wonder, how many times do we do that? We try to talk God out of the blessings he's trying to bring into our life because we feel like we're not worthy. None of us are, but that's what's happening right here. She pushes back, and she's like, I really don't understand. I don't, I don't know why you would do this. Like, I'm not even one of your people. And Boaz says, yeah, I know. I know where you're from. I know all about it. And this is, this is great, isn't it? Listen, I, I want to say this, and you might not agree with me theologically, and, and that's all right. You've never disappointed God, ever. You have never disappointed God. You can't disappoint God. If you could disappoint God, that means you could surprise God. If you could surprise him, he wouldn't be all-knowing. And if he's not all-knowing, he's not worthy of our worship. See, that thing that you did, God knew you were going to do it before he created you, and he created you anyway. And he went ahead and made arrangement for the payment of that thing you were going to do. That's called grace. And so for those of you who think that you can disappoint God, you're not that good. You can't disappoint the one who knew everything about you, knows everything about you, and loves you anyway. I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Think about this. When Boaz said, I also know about, do you think her heart sank a little bit? Probably. But then he says, everything you've done for your mother-in-law. In other words, I'm not talking about what happened. 
I'm not talking about your history, Ruth. I'm talking about your destiny. I know what you did. I know what you did, but I also know what you've been doing. I also know what you're doing. I also know everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. Ruth, I know what happened. Ruth, I know where you came from. Ruth, but I also see what you're doing. And because of what you're doing right now, I'm going to bless you. I don't care where you come from. I see what you're doing. I see what steps you're taking. And the reason I'm approaching you is to bless you. This is crazy. Verse 12, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. In other words, he says, listen, you came from Moab, but now you're in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now you're in the place God wants you to be. And Ruth, I'm telling you, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Then verse 13, I hope to continue to please you, sir. I hope to continue to please you. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Once again, she's trying to disqualify herself. I don't, I don't really belong here. I'm not one of your workers. I don't understand. That's what we do sometimes. We try to disqualify ourselves when God is trying to bless us, and we say, no, I don't deserve it. Newsflash, nobody deserves it. That's why it's called grace. It's this great, awesome, amazing, incredible thing, right? Now, this next part, this next part is super cool. Um, as I've been, the weeks I've been putting this together, I've loved this part. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz called to her. This is like their first date, right? They're going to have a meal together. Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. Now again, I, I told you that Boaz is the Christ figure in this story. So right here, you have the Christ figure calling to not a religious person, but to a very immoral, irreligious person, a person as far away from God as you could possibly get. And the Christ figure looks at her and says, I want you to come to the table. And when you come to the table, help yourself. We're going to have some bread, and we're going to have some wine. We're going to have some bread, and we're going to have some wine. What two elements did they use to celebrate the Passover? Bread and wine. What do we use to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Bread and grape juice, but you get where I'm going with it, right? Don't miss this. The most immoral, disqualified, furthest away person from God on the planet is welcome at the table with Jesus. Isn't that cool? Let me ask you this question. Let's say, let's say you got a, a DUI this past, this past Friday. Say so you got stopped, you got a DUI. And yesterday it hit social media, it's all over the internet, your story for whatever reason, and people are commenting, and people, oh, knew it, oh, and it just went crazy. Would you feel comfortable coming to church today? I hope the answer is yes. I hope at this church, the answer is always yes. Would you feel comfortable coming here? But see, some people, some people would have felt shame. Some people would feel embarrassed. Some people would think, oh, people are going to talk about me. People are going to judge me. The only people that judge you and talk about you are people that don't want you to find out what they did this weekend. Right? See, here's where I'm going with this. We, we get so obsessed over our image in the church world. But if we let go of our image and we just say, you know what? I want to walk with Jesus. I want to take my next step. I want to do the next right thing as I embrace getting up every day and taking my next step. Progress. He's the one who will transform me into who I need to be. Listen, don't miss this. We can't change ourselves. 
You and I will never, ever successfully change ourselves. You know how I know that? Because you've tried. And you haven't been successful at it, right? But as we walk with Jesus, he brings about the change that we never could have brought in ourselves. I love the fact, love the fact that he invites her to have bread and wine. So she, so she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted, still had some left over. Don't you love that? It's a great story. It gets way better. Verse 15. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young man, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And then it, this gets way crazy. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on, what's that word say? It says, on purpose. On purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Guys, I want you to go out front and I want you to drop handfuls on purpose. She's not going to know where they came from, but we know where they came from. I know where they came from. Just drop handfuls on purpose. Can you imagine Ruth? She gets back out there. She starts working. Sometimes you had to work hours just to get a handful. And all of a sudden she's walking and there's a handful and there's a handful and there's a handful. Where does this come from? How did I get this? And she just keeps receiving blessing after blessing. Handfuls on purpose. Had she stayed in the house, had she not been willing to walk, had she sat and cried and screamed and been the victim instead of getting up and walking out, she never would have received the blessing. L listen to me. We can be the victims, but, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, I'll say it till the day I die, victims never walk in victory, ever. You can have people feel sorry for you, but you'll be stuck, and I don't want to be stuck in a place where people feel sorry for me. I want to get up, take my next step, do the next right thing, because what I've discovered about my life and other people that are willing to take their next step and do the next right thing is that God blesses that. And maybe there's somebody in this room. You're getting ready to experience handfuls of blessing. You don't even know where they come from. You didn't even know they were possible. You didn't even know you could be blessed that way. But I'm telling you, when you're willing to walk with Jesus and just take your next step, do the next right thing, he brings handfuls of blessing. Handfuls on purpose. You didn't plan on them, but the best, best blessings we've ever received are the ones we never saw coming. I love that. So leave handfuls on purpose. Don't give her a hard time. Keep your hands off her. Love that. Verse 17. So Ruth gathered barley all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. Now, that, that doesn't mean anything to us, but that was an abundant harvest. And then she goes back to her mother-in-law. She goes back to Naomi because she's like, I got to tell somebody. You ever been like that? God bless you so much. You got to go tell somebody. Got to tell somebody. Got to tell somebody. She carried it backed into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where'd you gather all this grain today? See, Naomi knew. <laughs> Girl, you couldn't have done this by yourself. That's how you know when you're getting blessed by God. People look at you and say, you ain't that good. Something's happening in your life. And they know you never could have done it on your own. Listen, when you begin walking with Jesus, when you begin doing the next, the, 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 the next right thing, when you begin taking your next step, people look at you and say, what's going on with you? And that's our opportunity to just talk about Jesus and talk about how good God is to us. Because that's what she did. Naomi asked, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man I work with today is named Boaz. 
Verse 20, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, next week, you don't want to miss next week. Next week, like, scandalous. That, that, that's what it is. Like, the stuff that happens in Ruth chapter 3, I don't even know how to explain it. I'll, I'll give you a few options, and you can pick for yourself. Like, Bible commentators don't even agree on it. For those of you who think the Bible is boring, don't miss next week. And by the way, for the people that's trying, or that's really wrestling with trying to take your next step, trying to take that step of faith, but you haven't found the courage to take it, don't miss next week. Don't. It, 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 this, this is where it ties into, right here. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Mom, he wants me to come back. He wants me to come back. It wasn't a one-time thing. He wants me to keep working in his field. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to continually walk with him. He wants to continually, when I say walk, I mean as he leads us, as we're taking our next step, we just say yes, yes, yes to the next step he wants us to take. Because as we do, we start picking up handfuls on purpose, abundant blessings. I'm telling you, abundant. It doesn't, listen, 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 don't, I'm not telling you, you don't have to work, all right? You, you have to put some effort in. Ruth had to work, yes or no? You think about it. Was it still hot outside, yes or no? Did she sweat, yes or no? Did she probably get tired every once in a while, yes or no? But she was still willing to take her next step. She was still willing to do the next right thing. And then this happened, I love the way this ends, verse 22. Good, Naomi explained, do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. Don't, don't miss that phrase. Stay with his young women. Now, the women that worked in Boaz's field were Jewish. That meant they came from a really religious background. Ruth was a Moabite. Based on what you know about religious people, you think the religious people in the field talk smack about Ruth, yes or no? Yeah, of course they did. Like, here comes Ruth, and she's working. They see her. Oh, there's that Moabite. You know where she's from. Don't go near her like no man will ever mess with a Moabite. So these women are talking smack about Ruth, but she just keeps walking. They're trying to tear her down, but she just keeps walking. They're trying to get her to pretty much go back to Moab, but she just keeps walking. Every day she's walking through hurt. Every day she walked through the pain. Every day she's walking through discouragement. Every day she's walking through doubt. Every single time she's walking through something. But here's what's beautiful about this story. Again, eventually she marries Boaz. And in chapter 4, she marries Boaz. They have a son who eventually leads the lineage of Jesus. But don't miss this. If you don't get anything I say, walk out of here with this. In Ruth chapter 2... She's working in the field. In Ruth chapter 4, she owns it. In Ruth chapter 2, she's working in the field. In Ruth chapter 4, she owns the field. Some of you are walking through something today that eventually you're going to own. You're walking through anxiety. But if you keep walking, one day you're going to own it. It's not going to own you. You're going to own it. You're walking through depression. It owns you right now. But you keep walking through it. One day you're going to own it. You're walking through addiction. Keep walking through it. It owns you now. One day you're going to own it. You're walking through worry right now. But if you just keep walking, if you keep working on it, one day you're going to own it. 
There, there are people, li- li- listen, all of the people that talk junk about her, that talk down on her, eventually worked for her. And eventually, you won't even be able to hear the voices anymore because you're in a different position. You're in a different place. You're with different people. God is going to take you to a new place. I'm telling you, for those of you who feel discouraged because you're working through it right now, even though you're working through it, you're on your way to owning it because that's the God we have. That's the God we serve. Isn't that awesome? Just keep walking. Verse 23, so Ruth worked alongside the women. Gather These women who were so judgmental, the women who had talked down to her, tried to push her back, the women who tried to hold her back. And I would bet some people here, you have faced some resistance this past week. Pushed down, held back. Something's been said about you. Something's been said to you. And you felt like giving up. But listen, there was something inside of Ruth that just would not allow her to give up. She kept walking in the field, even though it was hard, even though it was hot, even though it was messy, even though it was dirty. She walked through it. And the Bible says, gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working. Like the barley harvest is over. And she's still like, God, what's my next step? I'm going to take my next step. I'm going to take my next step. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer, all while she lived with her mother-in-law. I'm telling you, somebody in here needs to hear this today. I'm praying that we would have the faith to just keep walking. Because what you're working in right now, eventually God's going to bring you to a place where you own it. Just keep walking. I'm hoping somebody today will have the courage to pray, God, fill me with a faith to keep walking. Fill me with a faith, God, to keep walking. I know it's hard, but God wants you to hear, keep walking. I know you're beat down, but God wants you to hear, just keep walking. I know you feel discouraged, but God wants you to hear, just keep walking. Have faith to believe that no matter what happens, God is going to keep leaving handfuls of blessings. And one of these days, you're going to own what you're going through. You're going to look back and you're going to say, I didn't necessarily like it. I didn't enjoy it, but God brought me through it. And I'm on the other side and I can celebrate. I can celebrate the fact that I was never alone. I was never by myself. He was always by my side because he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He never abandons me. And you need to know that just like God was with Ruth, God is with you in your hard times. God is, that time you cried yourself to sleep, God was with you. That time you thought about giving up, God was with you. That time you did give up, God was with you. He is a God who never leaves, never abandons, and never forsakes us. Just keep walking. Let's pray. Father, right now, I want to thank you, God, that there's never been a storm. There's never been a season. There's never been a fire that we have walked through that you have not been with us. God, you are always at work. You are awesome. You are great. You are amazing. You're holy. You're, you're incredible. And I pray, God, today that we'll celebrate the fact that we can see the light, that we can see who you are. We can see what you're doing, God, and we know that you have greater things for us than we have for ourselves. And in you, Jesus, the best is always yet to come. Jesus, I want to thank you today for allowing us to be in this place. Right now, heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I pray that you would speak over us today, God. That you would tell that tired person, you would tell that worn out, weary person, just keep walking. 
Just keep doing the next right thing. Just keep taking your next step because we're about to step into a place where we start picking up handfuls of favor, handfuls of blessing, handfuls of grace, handfuls of mercy, handfuls of hope, handfuls of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Heads bowed and eyes closed right now. Maybe you need to ask God. God, fill me with the faith to just keep walking. Fill me with the courage to just keep walking. Fill me with a faith, God, to believe that the best is yet to come. Fill me with the faith, Jesus, to take my next step. Maybe you're here today and you never prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life. And you know that's your next step. If that's you right where you sit, I want, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can just pray it in your heart. You can pray it under your breath. You can pray it out loud. But you just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. And Jesus, I believe you rose from the grave. And I know, Jesus, you did that for me to pay for my sin. And so right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and take over. All of me for all of you. I surrender. I give you complete control. Today I ask you to be my rescuer. To be my savior. And I promise Jesus from this day forward, to the best of my ability, I will follow you step by step for the rest of my life. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer, I, I would invite you to just go to the back corners of the sanctuary or the welcome desk during this song and, and let somebody know so we can celebrate with you. So we can help you with your next step. If you need prayer during this song that Mike is going to lead us in, I, I, I just I would invite you to feel the freedom to be able to go to the back corners here. The prayer team is back there, and, and they're wanting to talk with you, pray with you, pray for you. So as we close, Father, I, I just want to thank you so much. There's never been a single Sunday where you did not move. God, I want to thank you that you're still alive, and you still speak to people. And as we leave here today, we would walk out of this place with faith, knowing that our best days are in front of us. God, that we would walk out of here with courage, willing to walk through the labels that other people have placed on us. We would walk out of here with the knowledge that you love us, you take care of us, that we have never walked through a storm, we have never walked through a fire, we have never walked through a season where you weren't with us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you've done and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.